Welcome to the Essential Tennis Podcast. If you love tennis and want to improve your game, this podcast is for you. Whether it's technique, strategy, equipment, or the mental game, tennis professional Ian Westerman is here to make you a better player. And now, here's Ian. Hi, and welcome to the Essential Tennis Podcast, your place for free, experts, tennis instruction that can truly help you improve your game. Today's episode of the podcast is brought to you by Tennis Express. Please check them out this week by going to EssentialTennis.com slash Express. Well, thank you very much for joining me on today's episode of the podcast. We're going to have uh, two topics today that both will have to do with being more successful against 5-0 level players, really high level tennis players. And, you know, there's certain things we can do to be more successful against them. And we're going to talk about two specific areas having to do with that. So really good topics. Real quickly, before we get to that, I want to remind you all about something that I haven't talked about on the podcast for a while. And I actually feel badly about that. And that is the forums at EssentialTennis.com. The forums are just a wonderful place, just full of community and just a a great sense of, of family there. And the reason for that is the people that participate within the forums. These are people that are super passionate about their tennis game, very inviting, uh, very friendly, and it's just a great place to hang out and get some more feedback, get some more instruction. I, I very often answer questions in there myself, um, but it's just a great place to to post your experiences, get help from other uh, peers, other tennis players just like yourself. And it's just a great place to get encouragement as you continue working hard at your game. Now, I'm going to throw in a little bit of incentive here to sign up. It only takes like 30 seconds to sign up for the forums. It's totally free. You know, there's there's no strings attached, attached or anything. And I, I want to give away a free set of string to everybody this week that signs up for the forums and then introduces themselves inside the introduce yourself thread so all you have to do is just sign up for a free account and then the the very first section of the forums is introduce yourself under welcome so just go in there make your first post just a quick introduction of yourself let us all know where you're from maybe what level player you are maybe what some of your goals are for your game moving forwards and i'll send you a free set of strain that's it it's it's pretty much the easiest way you're ever going to get a set of strains. So I, I really look forward to, to meeting all of you that sign up this week. And I know everybody else in the forums does as well. And again, this offer is good through the end of this week. Let's say um, through October 9th. That's this coming Sunday. So you get seven days to do that. All right, let's go ahead and get down to business. Sit back, relax, and get ready for some great tennis instruction. All right, let's go ahead and get to our first topic today, having to do with being more successful against 5.0 players. We'd we'd all like that, right? Including myself. (laughs) I'd love to be more successful versus 5.0 players. Our first question comes to us from Daniel in Toronto. He's a 3.5 player. He wrote to me and said, Hi, Ian. I played tennis for a while today, mostly doubles, but at the end, I played versus an older 5.0 player who's very consistent. I'm a 3.5 that plays better than my rating, or at least I'd like to think so. I have solid ground strokes and serve, both first and second, but they're not always on, and I have some work to do there. After uh, we hit, the 5.0 player had some advice for me. 
I think we played for a little bit over an hour, and I was completely worn out and got a really good sweat in. I think I played better than him, but I gassed out. He said that playing like you're gassed out is better because currently at the beginning of a rally, uh, when I typically play against a player like this, I have a lot of energy and I'm really tight. I make more mistakes and I'm not as good as when I play softer and slower. At least that's what he said. I didn't quite get it and I wanted to get your thoughts. I also experienced a newer sensation, and that was towards the end. I was breathing much more vocally with my shots, like I've seen professionals play, and I'm wondering if that could be a breakthrough for me, or I was just tired. How important is breathing, and should I be trying some style of breathing while hitting? All right. Daniel, good questions. And let's talk first about what your your older 5.0 hitting partner was talking to you about. Uh, and he was speaking about you actually playing better when you were more tired, when you were physically more tired or, or gassed out, as you said. Let me just first say that playing at a 5.0 level takes way more energy than playing at a 4.0 level. And, you know, Daniel says that he's a 3-5, but he, he tends to hit the ball, you know, t- towards a higher level than that. So let's just go ahead and say that you tend to play more like a 4.0 player, Daniel. Even, even if that's true, the difference between 4.0 and 5.0 is huge. It's massive. And most, most tennis players don't, don't realize or understand how much of a difference there is between levels. I remember having my good friend Jason Cole on the podcast a, a while ago. I, I'd love to have him back on the show again soon. But we were talking about differences in NTRP rating uh, levels, and he said that the USTA actually had stated. Now, I I haven't actually um, seen this in print yet. I'm not sure where where he got this, but I believe him, and I and I've seen this to be true. But he said that the USTA um, he actually saw them. Uh, say at one point that the difference between a full half point, meaning between three five and four zero, or or between four zero and four five, etc., is the difference, or, or rather, is the same thing. That the difference in level in a half of an NTRP point is the same as losing six zero six zero. In other words, if you're currently just a middle of the road three five player, and you play against a middle of the road four zero player, a full half level above you. You should lose six zero six zero. That's big. <laughs> That's obviously a wide gap in ability levels. Now, there's you know, of course, the the rating levels don't go in even half point increments. They actually go in hundredths of a degree. In other words, you could you could be currently a, a three point you know seven nine NTRP. The USTA actually keeps a record of your rating to to down to the hundredth of a point. So there's you know a wide range in between each uh, 0.5 uh, level, but the full difference between a half a level is huge, much less between 4.0 and 5.0. That's a massive difference, and we're talking about way more, much more of a physical demand to play at a 5.0 level. The reason for that is to be competitive at a 5.0 level, you need a lot of racket head speed consistently from shot to shot to shot. You have to generate a lot of racket head speed. And that's necessary to be able to create the power and the spin to challenge your opponents. If you're playing against a legitimate 5.0 player, then just hitting just 
any old consistent shot into the court isn't good enough because somebody at a 5-0 level can create offense very, very easily. So if you don't challenge that person consistently, you better believe that they will be challenging you. And uh, the ball is going to be taken right to you or or away from you. What I mean by right to you, I'm saying it's going to be hit very, very offensively and aggressively if you don't first at least get toe-to-toe with them, if not even hit a little bit more offensively to keep yourself kind of in the positive from point to point. So this this just simply means big physical strokes. And so, Daniel, for, for you to, to feel like you were keeping up with this player or maybe even feel like you were hitting a little bit better means that you were accelerating and using your whole body much more than you're used to. And so that's why you got tired and that's why you got gassed out uh, as you said it. And that's why you started breathing more vocally, which we're going to talk about last and uh, I just want to say that even though there's such a big difference between 4-0 and 5-0, it's, for whatever reason, it seems like 5-0 players seem to make it look relatively easy. Just like when we watch the pros and, and we know that they make big power and big spin, but it doesn't really particularly seem like they're trying super hard on every single shot. Now they are. They're putting in way more energy than we realize or than most of us think. Uh but for, for the observer, you know, the casual observer, it doesn't seem like it's that hard. But trust me, it really is. <laughs> so that's just the first point I wanted to make. As we're talking about a big difference between what you typically play, Daniel, and what your hitting partner here was playing that day that you were trying to keep up with. Now, mo- now I agree with what your your player or your partner rather was saying, Daniel. That's going to be the the second part of my my outline here. Is most tennis players get tighter the harder they try. That That's what your hitting partner was talking about. And he was saying that you were actually hitting better when you were hitting the ball like you were tired, like you were physically tired. The reason for that is most tennis players, the harder they try to hit the ball, the physically tighter they actually get. So their muscles tighten up and tense up as they try to really accelerate the racket. And that's really bad for three reasons. Number one, you get diminishing returns on the effort that you put in. What do I mean by that? Well, let's say that you make a, a 50% effort swing. So 100% is as hard as you could possibly try to swing the racket. And 50% is just right in the middle. Most players, when they swing at just 50% effort, they're able to stay relaxed and they get 100% of the effort that they put into the swing, they get out of it in terms of energy transferred to the ball. Uh, Just as an example, on the other hand, most recreational players, when they try for, let's say, a 90% swing, so not not as hard as they could possibly accelerate the racket, but but pretty close, they put that 90% effort in, but they only really get about 60% 60 return on that 90% effort. So there's a big... Uh, you know, they might be physically trying really hard, but they're not actually getting out of that effort the potential that they should be because as they try harder and harder, they get tighter and tighter, and that physical tension saps energy out of the actual acceleration of the racket. And so it actually takes energy away from what should potentially be on the ball in terms of power or spin or a combination of those two, obviously. So again, most players have diminishing returns on the effort that they put in. So it's probably something that was happening to you 
fact in order to get you so tired as you continued hitting with this player. Uh, number two is reason why it's really bad. Not only do you get less return on the effort that you put in, but that, inef- that inefficiency makes the player very tired much more quickly. And that's, I believe, what happens to you during this day. And then thirdly, the third reason why it's really bad to get tight the more you try is that it leads to injury very, very commonly. And that's obviously a very bad thing. We obviously don't want to be injured. It keeps us away from the game or it keeps us away from playing the game the way that we want to. And trying to accelerate aggressively and, and hard and fast while having tight muscles will lead to an injury eventually, will lead to tendonitis, will lead to pain. And that's a bad thing. And in my experience as a, a a teaching pro working with just your you know your average joe recreational player in my experience the vast majority of the time that somebody has you know knee brace or a wrist brace or you know elbow brace is because they have tension there you know i should i should amend that that statement much more so the wrist and and forearm you know elbow type brace uh, not so much the knee brace uh but any kind of brace on the arm very, very commonly is due to tension and trying to still hit the ball with a tight body and doing that over and over again leads to injury. So the reason why he's recommending that you stay at a pace where you're still efficient is so that you can get your full efforts worth out of the swing, Daniel. That's why he's saying that you should swing like you're tired. You know, when you swing like you're tired, everything kind of loosens up. You don't have that kind of big muscular, uh, full of tension cut at the ball. You tend to loosen up more and be a little bit more relaxed. And it's good advice. But I I also want to throw in there that you should also be working on increasing your level while maintaining efficiency. That should be everybody's end goal. If you're listening to me right now, should be to be more aggressive, to hit the ball more offensively, because I assume that if you're listening to me, you want to play at a higher level, right? You're, you're at a 3-0 level right now, and you're not satisfied with that. Uh, you're at a 4-0 level right now, and you're not satisfied with that. And you want to make your way up to the next level. Well, hitting the ball hard is not the end-all, be-all of tennis, okay? It's very important to be consistent. It's very important to have control. It's very important to sometimes have touch and be able to... Uh, to hit something delicately and softly. But there's just no skirting around the issue that if you want to continue advancing, you also need some kind of weapon. You need some kind of offense as well. And being able to hit the ball more offensively and more aggressively while maintaining control is the best way to do that by far. And we want to do that while maintaining efficiency. So I recommend, Daniel, to be able to do that just add a little bit of pace at a time while maintaining focus on being loose and fluid in your technique. So, you know, let's say that currently you're able to swing, you know, just just as a random example, let's just say currently you're able to swing at 60% and still get everything out of the swing. So you don't feel like you're, um, you're holding yourself back at all physically. If that's the case, then get out there on the practice court, either with a ball machine or with a, a hitting partner in a cooperative rally, and just just add five percent to that. Go from sixty to sixty-five percent. So maybe you're adding, you know, like five miles an hour to the shot, and just just make that small, relatively speaking, increase, 
and focus on continuing to be loose and relaxed and fluid. If you're able to do that, no, no, no problem. Then increase 5% again, go up to 70% and see if you can continue maintaining your looseness and being relaxed. And then just keep adding 5% at a time until eventually, hopefully, you can work your way up to a place where you're hitting the ball really offensively and aggressively, but you're not sapping your, your, your energy super fast by being tight and inefficient. And you'll get much more out of the swing as well. You'll be able to hit the ball much more offensively and aggressively without having to hit at a 90 or 95% aggressiveness. You'd be surprised when you stay loose and relaxed how much you can get out of 75%. Or 80% um, effort. You can get a lot out of that effort of a, of a swing if you are loose and relaxed and you allow the racket to just accelerate freely. Okay, and lastly, I want to address your comments on, yeah, as you put it, breathing more vocally. And that's, that's commonly referred to as grunting, which is, you know, not the most, uh, pretty word <laughs> for it, but uh, that's typically what, what people refer to uh, that professional players do as they hit the ball really aggressively. Uh, they will grunt. They'll let out a, a verbal, uh, I, guess, I guess grunt is a good way of describing it, as they make contact. Well, that's a totally natural thing to do when you're uh, beginning to put high levels of effort into a swing. And it should be something that you just kind of let happen naturally. It's not something that I would say you should go out and practice, you know, like like you practice forehand technique or backhand technique. It's not like that. It's not that it's a technique that should be practiced. But as you start putting in more and more effort physically, it's just a natural thing that should occur. Just picture for any of you that have ever spent any time in a gym lifting weights, exhaling as you you push or pull on a really heavy you know, stack of weights, and you're just putting all of your effort and energy and focus into, into lifting that big weight. Obviously, a tennis racket is not a big amount of weight, but again, at a 5-0 level, at, at, um, at a full-paced ground stroke, that player is putting in a lot of effort. I would say as much physical total effort as lifting a big you know, weight in the weight room. Now, um, you know, not that people who lift big weights also grunts, but I have, I can tell you, I definitely have when I've worked really, really hard in the weight room before, that's definitely been something, something that I've done. And again, kind of unconsciously and not so much that I did it on purpose, but it's just kind of something that just comes out when you start really working hard at something physically, uh, within a, a really kind of short focused period of time. So let it come naturally, Daniel. It's not something that I would really say that you should practice on purpose. Just let it occur naturally as you begin to start working on being more offensive. So, Daniel, hopefully that's helpful to you. Uh, great questions. And listen, book some more time with this player. Uh, hopefully this person be open to hitting more, more often with you, and it would be excellent for you to get more practice against this person. And hopefully my explanation of hitting more efficiently, getting more out of your strokes is really going to be helpful to you as you try to be more successful against this 5.0 player. Best of luck and please let me know how you do. All right, we've got one more great topic about being more successful against 5.0 players. 
But first, I want to remind you all really quickly about the official sponsor of the Essential Tennis Podcast, and that is TennisExpress.com. Excellent, excellent online retailer of all things tennis that you could possibly need. Rackets, strings, bags, shoes, clothing, whatever you could possibly want for your tennis game. They probably have. And they also offer free shipping for orders over $75, which is awesome. By the way, uh, another great thing that they offer is uh, their demo program. I'm actually looking for a new racket and just took advantage of their demo program. You can check out four you know, brand new name brand top of the line rackets at a time for I think it's just under fifteen dollars. I think it was fourteen ninety ninety five or something like that. Fourteen ninety five and you can test out any four rackets that they have available of your choice for, for a full week and then uh, just ship it back with the shipping label that they send to you. So pretty cool, and I, I just took advantage of that and I'm getting my rackets in the next day or two. Looking forward to uh, to using those. So anyway, uh, definitely go check them out. Really, really, really inexpensive and convenient. Great people, good service. And you can check them out by going to EssentialTennis.com slash Express. When you use that link, you'll automatically get sent right over to Tennis Express. And any purchases you make, a small percentage of those will come back to help support the podcast and what I do here at Essential Tennis. Big thank you to everybody that's been using that link. I really appreciate it a lot. Thank you to Tennis Express for uh, for being a sponsor. Okay, let's go ahead and get to our second question. It comes to us from Vasu. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Vasu in uh, Reston, Virginia, a uh, 4.0 player. Vasu wrote and said, I can maintain 40 to 60 shots from the baseline with my instructor, uh, both on my forehand and backhand side. But when I play in a match, when the balls are coming at 80 miles per hour plus, my unforced errors go way up. How does one, under any circumstance, keep 80 to 90% consistency with significantly less errors? This is my goal for the, for the year. What factors should I master that will cut down on my errors? Appreciate your guidance. All right, Vasu, that, I mean, that's definitely tough. And when we, when we start talking about 80 mile per hour ground strokes, we're definitely playing against very, very high level competent players. Um, for, for sure, <laughs> when we're talking about recreational players, those are big ground strokes, definitely 5.0 level uh, caliber. Well, I, I want to start off by telling you what not to do when the ball is coming super fast and aggressive. And these are by far the two most common reactions from recreational players. Number one, most common reaction that you should not do is take a really offensive cut at the ball. When it's already coming at you 80 miles per hour plus, the last thing you want to do is take all of that pace and speed that's already on the ball and take an aggressive swing right at it as it's coming at you. It's really, really common for recreational players that are just starting to, to, to learn how to handle big pace to see the ball coming really fast and get really excited and kind of almost kind of panic a little bit or again I guess just kind of get excited about the prospect of the ball coming hard and fast and they accelerate faster back the faster the ball comes the faster they accelerate at it and so they they kind of try to match the pace of the ball but in the process overdo it and it's just like big overkill when the ball already has a lot of momentum on it if you're smooth and relaxed 
Uh, well, you know what? I'm I, I'm sorry. I'm getting ahead of myself in the outline. I'm not going to go. Uh, I'll, I'll get to that in just a second. But that that's the number one thing not to do. The faster the ball comes, the faster you swing. That's a bad idea. And that's just a big error trap for sure. It's going to make a lot of unforced errors doing that. The second big mistake that recreational players make against really aggressive shots is they get tight and punchy with your technique, either on the forehand or backhand side. Um, you'll actually lose control this way, and that seems counterintuitive. Recreational players seem to think it's a big misconception that when a ball is coming really hard and fast, if you get really tight and short and punchy, you'll be able to better control where the ball goes. And when the ball is coming really fast, being tight and punchy actually does the opposite. It, it will make you lose control of where the ball is going. Plus, if it does go in, chances are that it won't even be remotely challenging for, for the player that just pounded the previous shot at you. If, if they hit an 80-mile-an-hour forehand and you get real like tight and defensive and just kind of just punch it back in, into the middle of the courts, you better believe that the player that sent you the first one, they're going to send another one at you at least as strong as the first one. So it's just not a winning proposition in terms of uh, tactics and strategy. So what is the solution? The solution is a relaxed swing that's confident but not aggressive that also has a good vertical path. That's a really loaded sentence. Let me say that one more time. The solution is a relaxed swing that's confident without being aggressive that also has a good vertical path. There's three elements to that sentence that are really important. Number one, relaxed. This allows you to keep control of the racket head and direct the ball effectively. Again, this seems counterintuitive to recreational players, but when you stay relaxed, when the ball is coming really hard, it's much easier to control where the ball is going. You know, Players with good control have good touch. They have good hands. That means being relaxed and allowing the racket to do the work instead of tightening their body up. When you tighten your body up, the, the ball has a, a, has a tendency of just kind of ricocheting and flying off your racket face in all different directions. Um, you should be relaxed. The second really important part of that sentence was confidence confident without being aggressive. This allows you to hit a neutral rally ball back, not something weak and defensive. So it should still be confident. That means that it shouldn't be short and punchy. That kind of goes along with uh, the being relaxed. Um, it also means that it shouldn't be really, really slow. If the ball's coming at you really hard and aggressive, you should probably be making like a 50% swing. Obviously not aggressive. We're not trying to kill it back. But if we're just relaxed and we allow the racket to move smoothly and confidently through the point of contact, then you'd be surprised how much you can get out of it without even trying hard at all. As I was kind of prematurely getting into a second ago, uh, when, when, you, when you're tight, you lose control. When you're loose and relaxed and allow the racket to move towards your target smoothly, then you can start to really control the resulting shot back. And then uh, lastly, we want a good element of vertical racket path. And this is because, ideally, we'd like to add some topspin back towards our opponent, even though the ball is coming at you really hard and fast. And, and again, we're being relaxed. We're being confident. We're not punching the ball. It's not a short swing. We're still taking a full swing, but without being aggressive. Again, it's somewhere in between. Um, we want a good vertical racket path so that we can reverse the spin coming at us. 
if the ball was hit at us really hard and it bounces on the court, even if it wasn't struck with a lot of topspin in the first place, it's going to come off the court spinning towards you very, very quickly. And that's the opposite direction of if you were to hit topspin back towards your opponent. So it's important to come upwards and come up vertically at least a little bit, not only to lift the ball over the net and make sure that we get it to the other side of the court, but ideally so that we can add some top, some topspin. It doesn't have to be heavy. And again, we're not going for an aggressive swing here, but we're, we're going for at least a little bit of topspin to keep the ball in play as it goes back towards our opponent's side of the court. So that's why the vertical part of the swing is so important, starting below the ball and coming upwards as you make contact with that relaxed and confident swing. So how do we develop this, right? I mean, this is tough. It's tough to be relaxed. It's tough to be confident. And it's tough to control the direction of the racket path. When, when the ball is coming at us really hard and we, we kind of want to panic and, and kind of freak out a little bit uh, because we have such a lack of time, well, we can develop this through practice, practice and repetition, conscious repetition and practice over and over again. So uh, Vasu. Get a ball machine that can feed you a really hard, fast shot or get a practice partner who has great offense and and they can give you this type of shot over and over again. Focus on those three elements that I'm talking about and develop them consciously. This is not going to happen on accident, just like every other worthwhile uh, technique improvement and change. It's going to take practice, uh, but you can do it if you focus on those three things you'll be able to eventually be able to calmly hit a rally ball back when the ball is coming to you at a really fast pace. And that's invaluable as you start playing high-level players, specifically 5.0-level players, which has kind of been our, our theme today, has been being more effective against that level of player. So, Vasu, thank you so much for your question. Please let me know if you, let me know if you have anything further on that. Feel free to, to let me know. And uh, best of luck. Let me know how you do. Right, that does it for podcast number 190 of the Essential Tennis Podcast. Thank you so much for listening today. Whenever you may happen to be listening to this episode, I really appreciate having you as a listener. And if you're listening to this before October 9th, remember, or actually before October 10th, I'll give you guys through October 9th, remember that you can get a free set of stream by just signing up for the forums and saying hi in the Introduce Yourself section. I'm really looking forward to seeing how many people sign up and take advantage of that and really looking forward to seeing some new people in the forums. Before I wrap up today's episode completely, I'd like to read a couple of comments and questions that were left on last week's episode, number 189, in which I interviewed Todd Martin. And there's some really interesting topics brought up in the questions. First one I want to start off with is from F. Silber, who... uh, Wanted to talk a little bit about where Todd sees the game going. That was one of the last topics Todd and I talked about. Was uh, I, I asked him, well, where do you see the game going? It's gotten so much bigger and stronger and more powerful, more spin, etc. And I, want, I was curious what his thoughts were on that. And in response to that, F. Silver said, as far as where the game is going, I'm very depressed about that. I think tennis's governing bodies are asleep at the wheel. They're ignoring a huge need for restrictions on technology to force the return of the use of correct stroke production technique. 
The players today make the teaching authorities of the mid-20th century sound like fools. <laughs> so really a poignant uh, comment there. And that actually set off a big discussion. I, I left my own uh, thoughts in response to that in, in the comments section of podcast number 189. You'll, you'll have to go over there to see what I said. Uh, really interesting comments from F. Silver and several, many other people actually responded to that as well. I'm not, I'm not going to get into it here, although I will read one response. I take that back. I have a, a response here from Nick. So here's kind of the other side of the, uh, d- the uh, discussion. Nick said, as far as a 43-year-old guy who learned to play with wood rackets and who made the change to modern topspin strokes in my mid-30s, I want to say that these bitter old guys who think tennis was better uh, in the old way are out of their minds. Yeah, tennis was better if you like hitting balls a foot out over and over again. Topspin is the way to hit the ball, uh, to hit the tennis ball. Deal with it. It's simple. Spin equals in equals win. So there, there's kind of the two opposite ends of the discussion that went on in the comments. And if you're interested in, in participating in that discussion, feel free to head over to EssentialTennis.com slash podcast. Go to uh, episode number 189. You'll see my comments and thoughts in there as well. And uh, real quickly, one question here uh, from Helena. I, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. I, I apologize if I'm not. Who said, nice interview, many very interesting points, and I liked hearing him talk as a parent too. Anyway, um, what did he mean when he commented that as a kid he lacked repetition? He didn't have enough repetitions as a 10-year-old and had to develop a more analytical game. Where does that lead leave those of us who are learning the game as adults? Is repetition more important? I'm sorry, is repetition important enough to still work towards or not so important as we can be more analytical instead? Really, really good question. And I'll respond to that real quickly. Todd, Todd was speaking speaking to that and made that comment kind of in reference to himself and his own um, success or maybe lack of success if had he practiced and gotten more reps in for himself as a professional player. And he had a relatively late beginning, late start at age 10. That's what he's referring to. So when it comes to professional players, he was at a little bit of a disadvantage there, having started relatively late, again, relatively late for a professional tennis player. And so as a result, he had to try to overcome that. Um, so he was, he was coming at that from a professional player's standpoint, not from the rest of us, not from the rest of our standpoints, you know, as recreational players, or even me as, you know, uh, an advanced player and as a, you know, a college athlete, but not anywhere near the same level that Todd Martin ever achieved as a professional player. So um, to answer your question, uh, Helena, you should still work on repetition. Yes, it's still very important, as is developing a, an analytical side to your game as well. You, you should develop both. He was not trying to say that for everybody listening, um, repetition is an importance and um, you can overcome that with uh, being more analytical. Both are still very important for recreational players, for sure. So hopefully that makes sense and hopefully that, that clears things up a little bit. The, the main point there is he was speaking for himself from his own perspective as a professional uh, player. 
So um, those are just some of the, of the great comments and questions that were left. Go check them out. Again, EssentialTennis.com slash podcast, episode number 189. If you have any thoughts, uh, comments, or questions on today's episode about being more successful against 5.0 players, definitely leave them under podcast number 190. So with that, I'm going to sign off. Thank you all very much for listening. Take care and good luck with your tennis. 